Clubhouse. Welcome to Decorating the Set from Hollywood to Your Home with your hosts, Beth Kushnick and Caroline Daly. Welcome to Decorating the Set from Hollywood to Your Home. I'm so excited to talk about today's guest for the show, Steve Elton. Steve is the chief brand curator for Brown Jordan, leading manufacturer of fine leisure furnishings, meaning outdoor furniture. Beth, I know you have a lot of experience with using outdoor furniture in your projects, and it's such a huge, wide world of choices out there. How do you even start to select the right pieces for your outdoor setting? Like, where do you even begin? Definitely since the pandemic, the whole world of outdoor furnishings and for us shooting scenes outdoors has uh, it like exploded. I mean, as much as we would look for an interior setting, we're now location scouting with directors and talking with designers and thinking about how we can open up a show, show the outdoors and also be safe. During the shooting of two seasons of Bridge and Tunnel, that's all we did. We created an actual whole world by shooting in a certain neighborhood where we had house after house after house, and we could really represent all those characters as neighbors, you know, even so much as jumping over the fence in between houses. And they all had true period outdoor furniture. I think in two ways. One, now that outdoor furnishings have become so versatile and you're using them both indoors and outdoors. And two, just thinking about whole life settings, you know, actual rooms outdoors, that's changed for me in terms of how I look at outdoor furniture and use an outdoor furniture vendor uh, much more than I ever had before. On uh, some former films that I've done, I uh, remember so fondly uh, in Reversal of Fortune, we did a period flashback and had to do a whole party outdoors. And the way in which we represented the period was we took lace fabric and wrapped the umbrellas and draped it over the umbrellas and it was just this beautiful scene out in a field with all these umbrellas and tables and chairs of course dressed in lace and that was really one of my favorite scenes it just was something so simple that said the period and gave you the like ethereal aesthetic of this whole scene. It was great. 
Spring is just around the corner, Beth, and I feel like everybody's ready to get outside. I mean, it's nice and warm where I am. I'm I'm down here in Houston, but I saw it was like snowing yesterday in Pasadena, California. I don't know what is yeah. going on in the world. Yeah, so, but it's summer in New York, so I know, you know. what is going on? I don't know. But but give us some tips as we are trying to set some budgets, some realistic budgets about how much are we expecting to spend outside, and you know, just sort of gearing up to get our outside looking like we want to entertain again and be outside again? I'd say my tip to everyone is to consider that high-low adage that I take with everything. What would be an investment piece? Maybe the investment piece is an outdoor sofa or an outdoor fire pit. You'd be surprised at every economic level that you can find outdoor furnishings. Get a clear vision of your budget and where you're going to invest as my first tip. And then I would say, look for pieces that are versatile, that make sense, that are light enough that if you want to bring the chair inside, you don't need a forklift to do it. You know, something that's versatile, both inside and outside of your home. Then I would say, look at these performance fabrics that are new to the industry um, in everything, you know, in in the the chair coverings and the sofa coverings and also in the rug collections. Indoor and outdoor rugs have come uh, such a long way in their style and uh, can be used both inside and out. I love using classically outdoor furniture inside because they're so durable and so easy to like wipe down mm-hmm. and, and keep clean and everything. And they just don't show the wear and tear that regular indoor furniture does. So I love it so much. Just recently, um, I was at one of the big box stores and pretty much all of their rugs were really indoor, outdoor, even though they were very much intending for you to use it like in your living room or or outside. Um, And I'm so glad because I was able to find one for under the kitchen table, which now I've got kiddos who spill on the floor and do stuff. And it's super easy. You just wipe it right up. Super duper easy. So... I highly recommend checking out those outdoor or classically outdoor items, right? But bring Mm -hmm. them inside as well and take some of your indoor stuff and take that outside. It's true that if you're looking for extra seating, you don't have to go to sort of the boring folding chairs. So many of these outdoor chairs are stackable and really nice, you know. Rattan or some cool color. So look in the outdoor furniture department as well as the indoor. Absolutely. And super great with pets and stuff too, because it's like easy, wipeable, you know, Mm -hmm. um, surfaces, just so much easier. And now here's our interview with Steve Elton from Brown Jordan Furnishings. Joining us today is Steve Elton, a legend in the outdoor furniture industry and the chief brand curator for Brown Jordan, the leading manufacturer of fine leisure furnishings. Steve, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. I'm privileged to be here. Steve, tell us a little bit about Brown Jordan for our listeners who don't know and a little bit about your background and journey to the company. Brown Jordan started in uh, 1945. The founders were um, Robert Brown and Hubert Jordan. It was right after the war, September 7th, 1945, before there was a company called Brown Williams, where they made wrought iron breakfast sets and things in that nature. And then when the war came, if you had anything to do with metal, 
you had to do things that supported the war. What we did back then is we pretty much came up with the aluminum folding army cot. So before then, it was really iron and heavy, and we developed and worked uh, in supplied aluminum folding, aluminum being a lighter metal. There wasn't a lot being done with aluminum back then and with a with a canvas sling. So it really gave us sort of knowledge on how to work with aluminum. When Brown Jordan started, it was, uh, as I said, it was uh, Brown and Jordan. So Brown was the engineer, the product-driven guy that really was, um, you know, an industrial engineer. He really was fascinated with design. He was really fascinated with quality, and he was very, very forward-thinking. He really wanted to uh, establish a outdoor furniture company that was innovative in its thinking and using new materials. If you think back then, it was really Adirondack chairs, picnic cha- picnic tables, outdoor furniture was was really just a, a, necess- a necessity, not anything that was anything you thought about it as it regarded to leisure or anything like that. Jordan was a designer who, you know, was in the Hollywood scene. Back in that day, it was John Wayne, William Holden, Doris Day, Steve McQueen. He had some connections there. So really, when we first started, we started making custom outdoor furniture breakfast sets for the whole L.A.-based Hollywood set, because we were based in Pasadena, California, right right on Green Street. The legacy and the heritage that were started back then based on innovation, based on quality, and based on forward thinking are still how we think today as it relates to, you know, design, product, anything that we do with our furniture. You know, Steve, I wish I had known you when I was looking for one of my hardest (laughs) sought out situations, army cots in mass for one of my first jobs that were surprisingly difficult to find. We mentioned in the intro that your title is chief brand curator. Can you tell us a little bit more about your role at Brown Jordan? So I started on July 8th, uh, 1990. Actually, I think my first inspiration was uh, in 1967 as a as a young boy my mom had arc digests and i guess a little bit different than most boys 9 and 10 years old i was always moving the furniture around i one day my parents came home and i painted the out the picnic table and the adirondack chairs to match the house and there was this inside back cover ad in arc digest there was two furniture ads one was baker and one was Brown Jordan, and I. It was in color, and it was really interesting to me because it was a really, you know, sort of James Bond, handsome man sitting in a chair, you know, and it said "Suit by Petroselli, beautiful Italian manufacturer of suits, uh, watch by Rolex, waterproof." And then it said Brown Jordan both. So it really, you know, I, I just was intrigued by the fact that it was color, the fact that. The guy was like, I just thought this really cool. And I just, I remember that magazine and later on in my life, and as a matter of fact, I carry that magazine to, to this day, 33 years later in my briefcase with me every day. Cause it's really what inspired me as a, um, just, I didn't know it at the time, but I went back years later after I went to design school and, and started to learn a little bit more and knew that th- this is what I, that I wanted to be sort of in the creative industry, if you would. I went back and went into my parents' basement and um, looked at all the looks and lifes and 
Arc Digest and found that magazine and, and it's pretty tattered tattered up now, but I do carry it with me as sort of an inspiration and my homage to uh, to Brown and Jordan, sort of my connection to them, if you will. That's great. That's really something for our listeners to take to heart, that one image can have such an impact on you when we're talking about inspiration. We talk about, especially now with photos and, you know, Instagram and everything, inspiration being all around us. I found that lately on jobs, one photo can set off the whole tone or the whole look for a job. What happened was in the late 70s, you know, after school, I was so inspired by um, the whole creative process. I got a job at a high-end furniture store that carried outdoor furniture. And at the time, you know, Brown Jordan was really sold to designers, decorators, and Bloomingdale's. Mm -hmm. So, but they would entertain um, independent dealers, you know, that they thought were, were boutique-y and could be luxury. I talked to the owner. One thing, I am very passionate and I am very persistent. And I, so I talked the owner into bringing Brown Jordan in. Uh, they had some outdoor furniture, one company up in Granville, New York. And when I got the catalog, I'd never seen the catalog before. I was just like, I knew it. And I, it was, um, the paper was nicer. The mo- they, they, it had, they had models. Coincidentally, a couple from Westfield, New Jersey, walked in young couple and they were looking for outdoor furniture. They wouldn't even entertain anything but Brown Jordan. And it was actually my, the first sale I ever had. I was, you know, worked on their floors, a sales person and their, their merchandise person. I did their displays. I just felt like it was my destiny. So I started writing Brown Jordan letters. Back then there were no fax machines. Yeah. <laughs> I started writing them letters and I wrote them letters for eight years. Got married, had my daughter, watched my friends become lawyers and doctors, you know, stayed at that store. We expanded and, you know, I, I worked on really working on um, merchandising and things of that nature. And after about seven years, I realized that Romy Brown Jordan was answering my notes. So I, you know, I said, you know what, you got to control your own destiny. So I made it my mission and sold individually over a million dollars in one year in 1988. And in 1989, they came a call and, and said, um, you're not going to stop writing letters, are you? <laughs> and, and I said, no. And so they, they offered me a job in sales as, as a sales rep in the worst territory in the country. And I told them, I'm creative. I'm not, I don't like, I don't want to do sales. And they were like, you've got eight days to decide. That's the job. This was in June of uh, 1990, late June. And I took the job and started on July 8th, 1990 in sales in the Washington DC market, which was, like I said, last in, uh, <laughs> in, in volume. And I just, I just, I, over the years, I, I've, you know, I've had two great mentors and I've met some really wonderful people and, you know, I've got lucky and was able to, I guess, approach sales in a different way. It went from worst to first within a very short period of time. Wow, that's, that's so amazing. It shows that, you know, when you have a commitment to a, a company, to anything, it really pays off. I have years at, at a network, one show after another. One thing it begets another. So 
that's something else for our listeners to really think about. I do a lot of mentoring now and, you know, do some stuff at SCAD and things of that nature. And I believe, you know, for me, in my time at Brown Jordan in those early years, my first mentor was Richard Fernier, who was probably the most prolific outdoor furniture designer that walks on earth. And um, he really took me under his wing and he really, you know, I was very inquisitive and he really helped me, gave me opportunities, giving young people opportunities. Opportunities, I believe, is is a uh, a huge part of, especially as you advance in your career. He gave me my first opportunities that really um, helped me grow. We have a lot of younger listeners who are just trying to figure out their career path and trying to figure out like how does my creativity work in a in an employment environment. I would say that a lot of people, though, you, you mentioned like lawyers, doctors, everyone's becoming there's a there's a fair amount of people who don't know what a chief brand curator does. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit so that maybe someone who's listening would be like, you know what, that's actually a path I'd like to pursue. Uh, this job, actually, my second mentor, who's the CEO of the parent company now, is the one that is really the one that came up with it. And um, friends, you know, Richard helped me. I have a really close friend that, who used to be the editor of Rock Digest, you know, she helped me with this, you know, coming up with this title. What a chief brand curator does is, in my view, is you're the keeper of the brand that, you know, and I believe I take this responsibility unbelievably seriously. I believe I have a responsibility to, to the founders and to the people over the past 75, 76 years that have been part of Brown Jordan. I believe that you know, it's my time right now, and it's been a little while, and I have a responsibility to protect the brand, to grow the brand, to teach about the brand, to mentor about the brand, and those things are really important. The other part of the role is the creative side. So I work with the product development team. I'm the one that comes up with uh, really different and creative thinking as it relates to fabrics, and, you know, I think that, you know, I really work with the fabric mills as trying to, again, stay true to the founder's one of their first mission statements, which was to be innovative. So from a curator's standpoint, I really work to like, what's next? What's new? What hasn't been tried before? Why is this not a crazy idea? And what are things that we can do? When you're a brand of consequence and you're a leading brand, it's great, but you got to make sure that you do things that got you there in the first place and that you think forward to keep you as an industry leader and, you know, as a worldwide leader. And I think that one of the things that I'm most proud of with Brown Jordan is we are that. We are, you know, regarded as one of the finest outdoor furniture companies on earth. Right. And you have an incredible history. You know, something that we experienced having started the podcast, actually, when COVID started, there was a whole kind of new way of thinking about outdoor life and living outdoors and outdoor furniture. Did that have an impact on the company? Yes, especially over over a course of time. So there's so many things I'm proud of, of our company. But I think one of the things that I'm really proud of is the is we have developed first to the world and first to the industry, all kinds of different ways to bend metal, all kinds of different materials. One classic example, driven by Richard Fernier back in the early 80s, he developed what's now looked upon as, as synthetic woven outdoor furniture, which is, you know, 
polyurethane. And back in the day, you know, when it was first developed, it was, you know, frowned upon. But now it's on every spectrum, whether it be the most expensive or, it, you know, be really price conscious. Brown Jordan, led by Richard, developed the synthetic woven category, you know, back in the early 80s. And there's example after example after example after example of things that we have brought to the industry and brought to the world that had never been tried before, materials that that have never been used before. We we don't take no for an answer. There's many instances where we've worked with fabric mills and all kinds, and you can't bend metal that way. You can't do this. And sometimes, I mean, there's a fabric that we developed that has this stretchability to it. It took four years and, you know, the fabric vendor basically looked at us and said, we're not going to be able to do this. And then we came back a couple of months later and said, yes, you can. And this is how you can do it. And I think that that just shows persistence and and wanting to be a luxury brand and an industry leader and bring things to everyone that are different and unique. That's our motto as set decorators and uh, working in the film business. We are accustomed to not taking no for an answer. That's a great way to think. I had a, uh, who's now a really close friend of mine, an editor from a major magazine walked in probably like seven, eight, nine years ago into our showroom in High Point, North Carolina. She left and she came back and we didn't even really know each other that well then. And she came back in and said, you know, it's not the most beautiful showroom I've ever seen, but your, your stories, your product and how you tell the story and your connection to your history and legacy without acting like an old, tired furniture company really makes it hard to not write about you guys because you guys are, you know, you guys are so forward thinking of how you connect all the dots together. And I think that, again, that's another thing that um, really makes me proud just to be part of the team and be able to, you know, continue to, to do what my part in carrying that legacy forward. We understand that Brown Jordan is going through a sort of rebrand. Can you tell us more about that? Sure. So I think that, you know, as you go through the decades, just like anything else, things change. And I think that, you know, the brand has always never changed in its luxury or its relevance or who it is. But as Europe has come to America, there's some really great outdoor brands that have come from Europe that are very forward thinking that, you know, look at things a little bit differently. And I think we had to step back and say, you know, from a marketing standpoint, even from how we shoot at photo shoots, how do we continue to be the great American brand that we are and continue the the image of luxury and innovation? And how do we look at it differently than we had been in the past? Nothing that was being done was incorrect. It wasn't groundbreaking. And I think now, as we go through this rebrand, we've done photo shoots a little bit differently. We've done some in studio with famous photographers and done it a little more edgy. We've we've gotten a little a little more fashion mm-hmm. aware and fashion driven. We have consultants and we have a, a bunch of, of great people from other segments of other industries that have really helped us. And I think that the rebrand is just about a, taking something that's wonderful, that's a great brand, and just thinking about it a little bit differently, making sure it stays relevant and luxury and understands to stay who you are. You have to do these type of things. There's so many examples of so many brands in any industry that have been these 
big iconic brands that have sort of kind of lost their way. And I think for us, we just stopped it before that happened and really have in the rebranding are just thinking about it different. I just think we're a little cooler, hipper, forward thinking and, and more fashion driven. Have you found that when I was doing two seasons of Bridge and Tunnel, it was really at the height of COVID. We set a lot of the script. We kind of altered things and brought everything outside. And that brought with it a need for period outdoor furnishings, 70s, 80s. And I was really surprised sort of to see in the market that there's a retro style where I, I found both authentic period stuff that people were selling or I found it in their in their basements. But then it was, it, you know, a lot of companies were reproducing retro umbrellas. And have you guys at Brown Jordan found that that's the case? We think about it a little bit differently. So, yes. What you're saying is absolutely, and we have done that, and I'll give you an example. But there's an, there's other examples where I think great design, no matter what it is, no matter, you know, whether it's a car, whether it's furniture, whether it's clothing, you know, I think great design is great design. And I think one of the coolest things about Brown Jordan, and there's so many things that are just so different and unique about Brown Jordan, the brand. We have collections, even before then, from all the decades, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s. And, and, and I'll give you a couple stories. So in 1958, the first ever outdoor furniture market was in the Merchandise Mart in Chicago. Robert Brown went and we had a collection called Cantan. It was an aluminum collection, round tube, and it was with vinyl lace. And Brown Jordan developed vinyl lace as a seating surface because it didn't really have a lot of maintenance. You could do really fun colors with it, and you could do different types of basket weaves and design with the vinyl lace, easy to clean. Like I said, you didn't have the maintenance. So at the Merchandise Mart, at the first outdoor furniture market ever, the first ever design award given in our industry was for Cantan. What was cool about that is that the collection just took off from there. It was awarded by the U.S. Department of Commerce as the furniture that was in Tokyo at the World's Fair in 1960. It won an award given by Alcoa. In 1959, as the best use of aluminum, which, you know, if you think about it, people hadn't really figured out how to use aluminum because it's a softer, lighter metal. And then, funny story, but in, in uh, 2011, uh, Richard Frenier and I were having a conversation about what's next. And Cantan had been dropped back in the early 80s. And so Richard asked me a question. We were on the phone and he asked me a question. He said, so what's your favorite collection ever? At Brown Jordan. And I said, well, oddly, I think it's Cantan. I love walking through the streets of DC and, you know, I look at a brownstone, I see a little Cantan chair peeking out from behind, <laughs> peeking from beyond the corner. And he started laughing and he said, me too. And then I said to him, but how do we, how do we do that? How do you bring back a collection without looking like a tired old North Carolina furniture company. How do we do that? We got to think about that. And so we put our heads together and we developed what we call Suncloth strap, which is a, ma a material strap that has an elastomeric mesh sewn into it, sort of like a, uh, sort of like a sock, if you will. We put it on a brass frame because we wanted to pay homage to one of our earlier collections called Walter Lamb Bronze. We introduced it, long story short, in the same building 
<laughs> at the same market in 2012, and it won the same award from 1958. That's the testimony of great design and being innovative. And that was that was what drove my friend, the editor of Art Digest at the time, who came back in and said, this is a great story here. And I think that we have many of those, and I'm sure we'll talk about more today. But I think that that's just a great testimony to a great brand, iconic design, looking at it from a different way by bringing a collection back, but with innovation, which made it relevant. And I was shocked. We, we have it today in the line. And what it did do is it brought us some younger customers because it's it's a little better price because it's a round tube, not as intricate to make, number one. It's got a little lower profile. So it really, it's from the mid-century modern. It's not your grandmother's version. No. That stands the test of time, but it also allows for innovation. You asked about a, you know, curator. I think, you know, that's one of the responsibilities is to make sure that, you know, you stay true to great design, but you stay true to um, doing things that, you know, people want to talk about the brand. And there's great stories about the brand makes them interested in what we're doing next and those types of things. Steve, recently we were, we've been talking at Pod Clubhouse about the season of Emily and Paris, and uh, we saw some furniture on there that turned out to be Brown Jordan's Venetian collection. <laughs> what are some other TV or film examples where our listeners can kind of keep their eyes open and see your collections on their screens? I mean, just to give you a few, because um, there's been many over the years, the bodyguard the pool scene with Whitney Houston and, and Kevin Cosner. It was the sister collection to Venetian, which was called Florentine at the time. Home Alone 2, where he's in the, in the Waldorf at the pool. That's Brown Jordan. Shrink is actually Walter Lamb. The Graduate, um, the pool scene with Dustin Hoffman. There's Brown Jordan sort of like in the background. Probably... Although it had um, pretty well-known actors in, in uh, Kurt Russell and Halle Berry, but not as um, well-known of a film, but it's probably my favorite. And I saw this, I found, I saw this by accident years ago. It's called Executive Decision. And again, it has Halle Berry and Kurt Russell in it. And I think it has Steven Seagal as well. In the movie, there's a scene where a building gets blown up. Fire, all these things flying all over the place. And then out of nowhere from the sky falls a chair that got blown up and it lands on all four. It's, it's the coolest thing ever. It lands on all four. And I'm looking, I'm at the movie and I'm looking, I'm like, oh my God. And it's actually Brown Jordan chair. And it was just, it was just the building's gone. There's nothing but fire. And then you see this black silhouette of a chair that just fell out of the sky that had obviously been blown up that lands there. And I just thought that that was like, you can do anything you want, but you can't, you can't destroy the furniture. So. Talk about feature. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the other cool thing is we were in the green room. Uh, we worked with a very uh, well-known David Rockwell out of New York. We worked with, and we did the green room uh, at the Oscars in 2014. That was kind of cool. Cause that's when we had the, the Cantan collection, we did it in gold and we got to really play with like really cool fun fabrics. And that was a cool experience uh, as well that gave us. And what was interesting was I had the fortunate to be able to go and meet a bunch of different people. And no one blinked when they said, well, 
who are you and where'd you come from and say Brown Jordan, it wasn't like anybody looked and said, oh, what's that? I mean, so like it was a pretty cool experience for us, for me to see that because again, we, we cross over, we are luxury and we cross over all spectrums of, of people that consider our product. I think also there's crossover post-pandemic and using outdoor furniture in. I just recently did the second season of Run the World, a show on stars, and we built entire an entire apartment, but we also built the exterior of the apartment. It was a great place to have outdoor furniture uh, scenes that took place outdoors, you know, through the apartment window and back from the outdoor kind of terrace. Movies and TV shows are, you know, we call it opening, opening it up, you know, where you're not just confined in a room, but the view goes on. You know, it's a perfect place for including outdoor furniture. I, I couldn't agree more. So probably about, I want to say maybe eight, nine years ago, there was this whole happening with the outside. And we actually came up with, you know, we furnished the outdoor room. It has no walls and a ceiling of sky. And, you know, that was really, everybody thought that was really catchy. And, and it was great expanding your home. Even now, if you look, you know, I'm down in Savannah a lot and I've looked at maybe a second home there, down there because of the weather, they have lanai's and it's just really an extension of the home. And even the outdoor area, no matter where you are, you know, there's there's these elaborate kitchens and there's outdoor mm-hmm. rugs and there's all these things that are used for the outdoor. One of the things that I think that we that we have done recently since the pandemic. So when the pandemic first hit, you couldn't hit at a worse time for outdoor furniture. I mean, like the season starts right around now, February, March, boom you know, the pandemic hit. And so, you know, we had to really think about, okay, what does this mean for us? What do we do here? It gave us more time to be a little more creative and think about, you know, because in today's world, you're moving so fast and have so many hats. And one of the things that, and there were many things, but one of the things that we did is and are doing is by fabric application, textiles, frame finishes, the design of a, of a piece, working with designers, telling them that this is what we think and how we feel is we've sort of reversed that trend a little bit, just like you said, and we're pushing the outdoor in. And there's many, many instances where we have tables, sofas, especially our chairs that could be used with upholstered pieces, you know, because of the way that we've thought about it, the textiles that we've used, the way we've made it look more indoor, even though it has all the outdoor properties, again, being innovative. So you're connecting all the dots. You're being innovative. You're being forward thinking. You're paying homage to the beginning legacy. And, but you're also looking at, at not only following trends. And one of the things, like, I know we're going to talk about color a little bit and stuff like that. I think we are really right there and, and ahead of the game versus pretty much anybody that's there as it relates to those types of things, as it relates to setting trends versus following trends and finding new ideas and and what we can do to make us, again, be the brand that everybody expects us to be. It's a very versatile thing to think about a piece that's appropriate for indoor and outdoor use. And I think that 
kind of appeals to a younger audience and an audience that's interesting, an audience that's interested in reusing and and maybe not having a lot of furniture, but, you know, specific pieces. How do you come up with the new colors and fabrics for the collections? For my whole life, played basketball. I was a lifeguard in college. I was always redesigning the shorts and the uniforms and it's just like what 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 do you mean you want to do this i had sunday uniforms i mean it was always like it's like just shoot the ball steve and i would always come up with like new ways to do i think especially the last three or four years we've really been forward thinking and it's really cool to like i study a lot of fashion stuff i and but some of it is what richard told me years ago is um you can learn a lot of stuff but if there is some natural skill to this and especially when it comes to color and stuff like that i'll tell one cool story so in my backyard i planted a pomegranate tree in honor of my chocolate lab who had passed away it's just sort of this thing i did and i planted it Long about two years later, during the pandemic, the pomegranates started coming. The first couple of years, it was too small, and the pomegranates started coming. And I would I'd walk past, and you know, I had, my office uh, is behind the house. It's a separate building, and it's you know what you would think a creative office should be: a bunch of windows and fabric all over the place. And I'd walk past back into the house, or I'd catch glimpses of these pomegranates with the sun, without the sun. The company says, you know, wait for the next brain idea because you know I've gotten inspiration especially on color from all kinds of weird places but i took this i took a pomegranate off the tree and i put it in a plastic bag and i sent it to the to (laughs) my main contact at the factory not thinking like oh by the way by the time it gets there it's gonna be a different color so he sends me and it's this process that we do and he sends me these cast aluminum pieces of of a collection we had back in the 80s that they I guess they just bought way too many of them. So he puts it on because you can see it in different forms when it comes on the cast aluminum. I put them in the yard and I will look at them. So he sends me the first one and it came out too wine looking, too like reddish brown. And so then we go back and forth. And so one day I called him and he said to me, well, it's brown now, Steve. Like, like, and I'm like, well, I took pictures and went back and forth. Finally, I just couldn't get it. So I asked him to put some, what we call fairy dust. I asked him to put a little gold sparkle in it and it's just different percentages. And when the piece came and you put it in the sun, it changed it completely. It had this great little matte, but metallic. It was really, didn't look like red. It was just great. So we launched it. We call that singing. <laughs> oh my God, it was unbelievable. So we called it Amandine, the finish. I didn't want to call it pomegranate. And we introduced it. And then, you know, High Point, North Carolina is where the furniture capital of the world and all the indoor companies go. And no outdoor company has really, they've won a couple design awards we have. But when it comes to like fabric and those types of things, it's always, you know, the indoor companies that have like teams and teams of people. And lo and behold, in 2021, that color won best of market in High Point and has won other awards since then. And in our brand new, just recently launched showroom at 200 Lex in the New York Design Center is the feature color and a really high gloss on these really, really beautiful, beautiful curved walls. So it just, it came 
And we, I mean, we could spend the whole rest of the podcast just talking about where these ideas come from. But I think that one's probably the coolest one because it just came from walking past that tree, That's looking great. at it with the sun. And now it's just this color that you wouldn't think like that kind of color would be really popular for outside. It's one of the best. I mean, it's just rising up, up, you know, because usually it's, you know, whites or grays or stuff, you know, the safer colors. But it's done unbelievably well for us. Oh, Beth is all about not the safer colors, right, Beth? You always tell us go to the end of the book of the fabric book. Look for the look for the swatches. <laughs> you know, over and over again throughout my career, working both on sets and and in homes, I'll tell you that th- this concept it evolves in like a very natural way once you see it. You see how it happens, you know, like yes. you, you start to see patterns in, if I'm doing a private interior, like, you know, the frames that I put on the artwork and the fixtures and lighting and the, the patterns in the fabric, all of a sudden, and it's the same thing on set. I mean, I know part of it is an innate thing, but it all starts to repeat itself you know the, the you see the the shapes the color it starts to be a cohesive look and i it's just in that moment when it really comes together it's so exciting it's uh, you know for for you and i for people who are visually oriented you just see it and it happens i had the experience yesterday with a private client and when it comes together, it's great. Truly, when you hook into a color or, uh, you know, a pattern that's right for someone, it's, you know, I do everything character-based. When a color like you're describing is available for a certain character, it can define the whole character visually. So it's, there are two things that are the most, like, that people say all the time, what's your favorite what's your favorite things about your job? And it's, it's this and the mentoring part, but it's like the color part. I get so excited when I see Pantone of the year and see that Mm -hmm. we, we were there ahead. He is our people, Beth. He is our people. I know. I I look at fashion and I'm like, every year we're like, what's the color of the year? (laughs) And I look at fashion, like, wait a minute. Like we were there before all these other, like, I just get so, and like, the, like our new color that we, we just introduced, I'm like, you know, I remember when I first started working on it, it was like, oh my God, looks like. What it. is it? It's, we call it Austin. So it, in, in. That is it, not a description. Is it burnt orange by any chance? It, it is burnt orange. But, I had but wait, a feeling. But, but wait a minute. It has a little bit of that sparkle in it. It's got a little bit oh, of that. Oh, I love dust. it. Fairy dust. I'm a University of Texas alum from Austin. Oh, so, uh, I love that so color. So you got to know I love that color. I saw a rusted piece of uh, iron that had mm. I live I live right on the beach and I saw this rusted piece of iron I took it home looked at it put it in the yard next to the pomegranate tree <laughs> and people always say like what what you, I mean I have a really pretty yard I work in the garden but it's just like all these like other things like sample chairs everywhere <laughs> I sent a, one time I sent a stick that my dog found to the factory and they they duplicated it but I saw this rusted piece of metal I went and bought uh, Krylon like spray paint, and I'm like mixing it on there, and and then we send it to the factory, and they're like they're like well, what what's the PMS? There is none. 
There's, mm -hmm. We're not going with PMS. We're making our own PMS, and that's what we do. <laughs> I like you're like we don't need no PMS. No, you got people, this. people ask me it. all the time. They ask me all the time, like, "What's the?" And there is none. This is ours. We did this. We did. We like grow up, people. We do this <laughs> on our own. It's the ultimate ability to create. You know, yes. you have yeah. all these things at your fingertips, and and it's really about how you use them. Well, the, the the day they have to come to me and say, pick a PMS, then I know it's time for me to go do something else. Cause <laughs> They're like, hold on. I have a stick around here somewhere. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> Steve, we've loved talking to you today about Brown Jordan. But before we let you go, can you tell us about your role at SCAD, the Savannah College of Art and Design? I hold Savannah very dear to my heart. Uh, I've spent my most time on location in Savannah, Georgia, and Atlanta and Macon. It's many years ago now, but some of my greatest times on set and in the film business were in Savannah, both. This was a little prior to a lot of shooting going on down there. So everyone was joyful to participate and help us. It really is the most beautiful place and, and inspiration. The Savannah College of Art and Design is uh, a place for students who are interested in just what we're talking about, all kinds of creativity. Wow. So this one gives me goosebumps. And, you know, I think I've, I've been fortunate enough and I never would have, you know, in 2018, I don't really know why, but I was uh, fortunate enough to be honored with the Lifetime Achievement Award in our industry. And so, so I was like, okay, what does that mean? Like, are you done? Like, are you, where do you go now? And so and later on that year, the president of Brown Jordan came to me and said, there's this thing, I want you to meet this guy and he's a professor and there's this thing going on in Savannah and I need you to go, I need you to go down there and talk to this class. And I said, I don't want to go there. I'm like, I got too much going on. I don't want to go. And he said, Steve, you will love this. You need to go. So I went down with a designer, worked for our company, cool hip, tattoos, he's in his 30s. I'm like, okay, he put a whole like deck together. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go there and, you know, I don't really know what I'm going to do here, but I'm going to go there. So I go and he starts talking and I'm watching the students and I'm watching this man over in the corner in a suit and I don't really know who he is. And I'm watching the students and I'm like, this is a graduate class. And I'm like, this is not going well. Like this like, cool and hip today, tomorrow is the boar fest. So I, I walked out from behind and I started waving my arms around and telling stories about Brown Jordan and talking and because I just felt like it needed a little save. So when the class was over, it winds up that the man over in the corner was the dean of the interior design building and the dean of the building of arts. And he said, I'd really like for you to join me for dinner. So I was like, well, you know, I, you know, I really wasn't planning on staying, but okay. So we went to dinner and he said to me, you know, we've had many speakers come. We've had many people come. He said, do you have this innate quality to inspire? And he said, I, I'd really like to you to meet um, the department head and I'd like you to work with them and see if you guys can come up with some ideas. So we, we did. And we came up with a, a class that, you know, sort of took a little from the history of Brown Jordan of using innovative material that we found. And we sort of did it like 
sort of like maybe one a little, a little bit like a reality show where it was sort of like a design contest but we i walked the class was walking through the students as interior designers and what they could expect from a client and what the process was from a client it was clearly outdoor furniture uh, with using a, a different type of wood and we would award first second and third um and then we would look at the one that was awarded first that actually may be putting it in the Brown Jordan line. As the class started, I was on a plane uh, getting ready to go to Savannah and I got a call from that same editor from um, Bark Digest who said to me, where are you right now? And I said, I'm on a plane. I'm going, I'm doing these, this thing at Savannah. I, I'm really feeling great about this. And she said, well, I'm an honorary dean there and I'm on my way there. Can we, let's have dinner. So we did. That blew it up even more because of the friendship and because of her love for students and her love for design. And then I brought Richard for midterms to help. When I brought him to that class, they were like, oh, my God, this guy's a rock star because they did all their work. And it was, you know, again, it was a graduate class. The class wound up winning a huge award at SCAD. And better yet, SCAD came to us and said, we would like to feature our booth at the uh, contemporary show in New York at the Javits Center of this project. We are so proud of this project. That's the project that we want to feature. Would you come? And for me, like I said, it gives me goosebumps. The whole experience, even though I first said when I was asked, you know, especially after that award and all, I never knew that, you know, I was like, you know, what's next? And this has probably been, besides my time, and what I, the small part I feel like I've offered to Brown Jordan, this has probably been the most gratifying experience of my entire life. I am now um, the industry mentor, which is a huge, a huge honor, quite honestly, especially for some little, just me, to be a, like this honor, because there's so many names that they considered the industry mentor for the building of arts. And I go down, you know, I do a lot of Zoom, but I go down you know, periodically. I love, love, love Savannah. And the experience I've made, I've, I've probably four or five um, other students, we've found jobs for them, whether it be with some big interior design firms, with some um, furniture firms, even one with, with our own firm. And the experience for me, I, I don't, I, I just can't even give it justice because it's so emotional for me to be able to you know, see young minds, see how respectful they are, see how much they want me to stay after class and just talk to me and show me. And they are much more, you know, especially at that age, they're much more um, thoughtful in, the, in, in their process and their questions. And I just feel like um, unbelievably fortunate that whatever is in this little pea brain that I'm able to like, you know, I'm able to, and the thing that they say to me, Beth, more so than anything is what you said in the beginning. And it's, we've been inspired by you. And I wasn't really sure about this. I wasn't really sure about that as young people, I think throughout the generations, but even more so now they want to be inspired. And I think that if I have, you know, whatever little, offering I can give is, is I can inspire. And I think the, the story of the career helps to inspire them of sticking to it and believing in yourself. And, you know, when they ask me, I tell them all the time, do not, you know, be respectful, 
But if you believe in something, because that's the way I've always been, if you believe in something and it's that important to you, stick to it. Because the people that don't stick to it are the ones that don't have, you know, meaningful passionate careers that they really feel like they can step back. And, you know, I'm 68 years old. And so I can step back now and look and say, I've had a fortunate career. I've had a fortunate career with people that have been very supportive of me and given me, given me the, 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 the time and, and uh, wherewithal to come up with some harebrained ideas. And you're paying it forward. I hope so. Absolutely. I know that there's listeners who are listening to you today and they're feeling your passion for your field and your deep respect for Brown Jordan, which I know is going to inspire them to want to create their own outdoor living space. As people are starting to figure out like, okay, these are things that I don't want to just throw away next year. I, I want to have these to pass down generationally. I actually want to care about the design and and far more than the big box store. So Talk to me a little bit about where should someone start? What's the most important items to invest in? You know, back, I call it back in, uh, it's not your grandmother's day anymore. It used to be like table and chairs and a chaise. And that's basically what outdoor furniture was. But we talked about extending the home. And now it's really about, it's the seating is just as important as the dining. Whereas in the past, the seating wound up in the screen porch or the glass enclosed area really wasn't really used outside. So now if you look even at new homes and how homes are built and the whole advent of the fire pit and, you know, the the outdoor grill and all the things that are out there, I think that depending on your financial wherewithal, quite honestly, and depending on your lifestyle, I see more and would advise more. I do a lot of um, weekly Zooms for, we offer this and for people that, you know, they they show me their plans. I'm going up to New York on, on Thursday to meet a couple of people in New York, in our New York showroom to like finalize colors with them. I think it's about really driven by what is your lifestyle or do you see yourself eating out there? But more so now, if it's not all inclusive, it's more the seating. It's more the, the casual, let's sit around the fire pit and have a glass of iced tea or a, you know, a glass of wine and converse. Maybe we'll have a sandwich out there as well. But usually where people, depending on, again, wherewithal, many do it all at once, but usually where it, um, what the core of it is now is, which is a complete reversal, is the seating and then the dining comes afterwards based on because people want to feel like how many people do they think they want to entertain outside how how does that equate with the size of their family and, and things in that nature so where it used to be back in my grandmother's day it was the dining and maybe a, a a piece to sit and read a book at they're all important categories and we have dining after dining after dining and we don't really introduce a collection without dining as well the percentage is way different now um, and the seating is, is definitely an area where it really wasn't considered not all that long ago. It was It was just a, an afterthought or used inside or where it was covered. I love that so much, Steve. I know that there's going to be so many people who are going to go check out Brown and Jordan. And you guys have had so many collaborations with other designers. Are there any that you'd like to feature to, to remind our, our listeners to go check out? There's John Caldwell. So John Caldwell's story is, you know, at 17... He couldn't draw. And he answered an ad in 1951 to meet with Mr. Brown. And he made a chair 
with pipe cleaners and put it in a shoebox and brought it to Mr. Brown and said, I'd like to work with you as a designer at 17 years old. And Mr. Brown hired him. John had a prolific career at Brown Jordan. He's still to this day, deep into his 70s, is a prolific outdoor furniture designer. He was once the vice president of marketing at Brown Jordan and probably had close to a 20-year career. And there's all kinds of collections, including Calcutta, which is an iconic collection of Brown Jordan that are still in Brown Jordan today. And then Richard Frenier, who I said was one of the two mentors in my life that I've had and probably one of my closest friends, you know, started, he answered an ad in the LA Times um, in 1982, um, and his first collection, Quantum, won all kinds of awards. And we still have collections to this day that are top 10 relevant collections that, that Richard has done. Richard is also not like all designers, very good at fabric and textiles, and is probably um, one of the kindest, most ethical human beings that I have ever met. And as far as skill sets, there's a story about this aluminum medallion that Mr. Brown willed to Richard and Richard willed to me and I'll, I'll will to somebody someday. I believe that, that Richard, more than any person that's ever lived, has brought more from a design standpoint to outdoor furniture than anybody there. And I'm proud to say that, you know, that award I talked to you about from 2018, there have been companies that have had one recipient and our, and our, our company has had three and Richard, you know, Mr. Brown won and Richard is the other one. So I think that that's a real connection to our legacy and, and connection to each other. I marvel at Richard's ability. Another one who was recent, who has our number one collection, which is called Oscar, and we launched a collection with her recently called Moto and our newest collection that's going to launch in uh, April, which is called Oliver, is Anne Varing. And Anne brings a female's approach to design. She has a softness to her and an intellectual way that she approaches it. I think she studied our brand and our company and our offering more than any designer I've ever really seen or worked with. I consider her to be a very close friend. We talk, you know, about our lives. We talk about all kinds of things other than furniture, but I have a tremendous amount of respect for her. And like I said, Oscar is by far and away, not even close to our number one selling collection. And it's really I think Anne's done a great job of mixing different media together to give it a, a more uh, softer sort of eclectic approach. And I, I just, I just, I think the mixture of who we work with and how we work with them and who they are, skill set challenges us tremendously. And then I think the last one, which has to be spoken about because it's, you know, probably what made us the brand we are today is Walter Lamb. And I'll tell that story. I, I promise I won't drag it out. But Walter Lamb was a designer who lived in San Francisco and had a home in Hawaii. He was doing these really neat things right after World War II with the brass, copper, and bronze from the sunken ships, uh, salvage materials from the sunken ships in Pearl Harbor. Ashtrays, bird bass, wind chimes. As a matter of fact, I have one of the original um, that somebody gave to me, sent to me as a gift, one of those pieces. And Mr. Brown being, you know, again, you know, who we are still are today, being innovative, got together with uh, Walter and they developed a collection called Walter Lamb Bronze, using all the bronze and then brass piping, because it was more brass than bronze, from the salvaged materials from the sunken ships in Pearl Harbor. When that happened, it was right at the beginning of the mid-century modern era. 
And, you know, we were a West Coast company, very well known, that had not built the bridge to New York yet. One of Mr. Brown's first external hires was a PR firm in New York, and nobody understood why he did that. And he said, because I need to build a bridge, and you're not going to build a brand without New York. And I need to build a bridge from L.A., to New York. And the way to do it is with PR. And think about this. This is in the 40s and it's outdoor furniture. And her name was Margaret Nall. And she got a hold of this story. Look, Life, the Saturday Evening Post, the New Yorker magazine started writing, Wall Street Journal started writing articles about this collection that we had done. And, and, you know, again, now using salvage materials and things like that, that's a great story. Back then, it was unheard of. And within a short period of time, we were contacted by both and then by Bloomingdale's. Here goes a story of a brand being born. It just put us, you know, with those two, the bridge was built. New York wanted what the West Coast had, and you got Bloomingdale's coming into to the mix. Brown Jordan became, became a brand. Steve, I feel like you've given us a history lesson, a lesson in creativity and color, inspired us. It's been really incredible. Tell our listeners where people can find Brown Jordan. We're pretty big in social media. We have a Instagram, we have Facebook. You know, you can Google brownjordan.com. The bulk of our business is done through the interior design community. We have 10 showrooms throughout the country in mostly in major cities. And then we have what we call industry dealer partners pretty much throughout the country. Clearly, obviously, we, you know, we have, we're in some of the finer country clubs and hotels um, throughout the country. But if you, if you go on to brownjordan.com, it'll pretty easily show you where to go. And then you can find, no matter where you live, you can find a vehicle of either, whether it be a Brown Jordan owned showroom or store or a industry partner. Thank you so much. This was Steve, great. You've been I, amazing. It's awesome. Thank you so much. I know there's going to be so many people who are inspired by your story. I can't believe your perseverance. You, you inspired <laughs> you. all of us. <laughs> Start writing letters, sending yes. emails to the companies that you want to be a part of. Oh my goodness. You're, you are amazing. This, the, uh, just, you have an amazing story. Thank you for sharing it with you. us. Just be a jack in the box. Wait, you push you back down, just pop right back up again. That's all I have to say. <laughs> That's the visual. <laughs> That's great advice. Thank you so much, Steve. You're welcome. I just want to thank Steve again for his time speaking with us, uh, his stories of his history with Brown Jordan and uh, his perseverance, how he got to where he is. They're, I'd say, inspiration for anyone, whether you want to be in the business of set decorating or you want to be in the business of any furniture company or anything creative. He decided where he wanted to be, and he's made a great career of his choice at Brown Jordan. And now he's sharing his knowledge with students at the Savannah College of Art and Design, which is really, really great. Beth, I have to tell you, when we sat down and we were going to talk about outdoor furniture, I thought, how are we going to like have like a lot of heart in this episode? You know, like what, what yes. what's going to be like our pull? And then once we started talking to Steve, I was like, Steve is the epitome of the heart of a true artist and a creative and someone who truly loves his job. He puts his all into it. And Brown Jordan clearly was the perfect match for him. So I'm so glad we got to talk to him. 
his pomegranate story is something <laughs> I that I really treasure. I know, so, so, you know, too. I'm, it, it... I'm happy to bring all these creative people together for decorating the set. It's, it's sort of like the film business. It's not what you would expect. I encourage listeners to come back every week because we're going broad this season and we're developing and uh, discovering some really great stories. I'm, I'm loving it. And I know, Beth, you have some projects coming up. Can you tease us a little bit with what's to come? Sure. I can tell you uh, two premieres. Run the World Season 2 is premiering uh, May 26th on Stars, And the Katie Holmes-directed movie Rare Objects opens in theaters and on demand Friday, April 14th. Well, this has been a great episode, Beth. Thank you guys so much for listening. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Decorating the Set from Hollywood to your home at Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please leave a five-star review. It helps a lot in promotion of the show. Five stars, people. Thanks so much for listening. Decorating the Set from Hollywood to your home is an original Pod Clubhouse production. Recorded, edited, and produced at Pod Clubhouse Studios. For more information, please visit us online at podclubhouse.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Decorating the Set at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening.